Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. At the age of 48, my guest on the podcast today was diagnosed with Lynch syndrome, specifically colorectal cancer. She was in her prime. This was completely unexpected, and yet she was discovered to have a genetically inherited condition with major implications for herself and for her family. She went from that to make a full recovery and to become a patient advocate. In this episode, she shares her story and she is now making a difference to patients with a similar condition all over the world. My guest on the podcast today is Venora Johnson. Venora Johnson, you're very, very welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to be speaking with you today. Now, six to seven years ago, you were diagnosed with cancer. Tell us about that particular part of your life, how it happened, what it was, and how your life changed as a consequence. Well, I have to begin with what I thought was a normal life for me. I was in the military at the time. I was serving as a as a reservist in the United States Navy, and I considered myself a very healthy person, as most people do who are serving in the uh, the military. I prided myself on taking my annual yearly checkups, but this one time, I was approximately forty five at the age of forty five. My primary care doctor asked me to do something a little bit different. He asked me to take a fit test. And at first I was like, okay, he wants me to take a fit test. This is a weird test. And I actually let it sit on the back of my toilet for probably about two weeks. And after a nurse called and said, hey, Winora, did you get that fit test in or would you get it in? I was like, okay, now I know better. Turn this in and just do what I'm supposed to do. Well, turning that fit test in led to a colonoscopy that then led to surgery and waking up from surgery, being told that you have a cancerous tumor, it's stage 3B, and you've had it for 15 years. So that's when cancer changed my life. Just for our audience, uh, nowadays when we talk about fit tests, we're talking about masks and COVID and all the rest of it. So you mean something different. What do you mean by fit test? Fit test is something equivalent today that you actually see marketed uh, probably on television, like a Cologuard test. It's a test where you take a swab of your fecal matter and it's sent in for testing to pick up small, minute traces of, of either blood or something abnormal. And that's what happened to me. And that's what I say saved my life. It must have come as a dreadful shock for a woman who'd been very fit, had been serving, would be considered the peak of female fitness, as it were. And here you were being told that you had cancer. Did you know what that cancer was? Did you know what the implications were for 3B colon cancer? Well, the interesting part about it is, is that a year prior to that, I had just buried my husband from pancreatic cancer. So I definitely knew what this cancer deal was because my mother passed away from, from a glioblastoma many years ago. So cancer was something I was familiar with, knew about the caregiving part, 
but never associated with myself. And to be honest, after surgery, I think I was just more shocked at the fact uh, that I actually had it for 15 years versus the fact that I actually have cancer. I, you know, I, I, I could wrap my head around that. I just couldn't understand how could I have missed something with me being so fit with no symptoms whatsoever. You understood the word cancer because you'd seen that in the family. And I'm really sorry to hear that it had happened to your partner. That's very sad. However, hopefully you were not thinking this is the end for me because clearly for them, the outcome was not so good. So how did you deal with the emotion of being told that you had the C word? I guess like with anything in my life, my first thought was, is that I have to fight this. And that meant making sure that I'm following up with my doctor, following uh, their advice. And then, of course, I know everyone hates to hear the Google word, but I'm also Googling to make sure that I understand what exactly is colorectal cancer and what implications will it have for my future and even my children's future. Okay, talk a little bit about that because you had Lynch syndrome. So what does that mean? And how would you explain that to our audience? Well, uh, the best way to explain what Lynch syndrome is, is something that you get done. First of all, you have to have a genetic test done. I wish my audience could see me because I show and carry this 12-page genetic report because it essentially changed my life. It told me that I was indeed positive for Lynch syndrome. And in fact, I had a 60 to 80% chance of getting endometrial cancer. And when I saw this genetic test, I thought, this is the first time there's something's in my control that maybe I can be a little proactive about my own health now. I'm not going to let cancer scare me, but I'm going to be proactive in taking care of my health and managing the trajectory of my life with cancer. And so after I had this genetic test, and mind you, I was hard-headed again because in 2014 at the time, my oncologist encouraged me probably the year prior asking me to get it because she may have suspected I was Lynch syndrome. And I, again, put it off, thought, well, you know what? I'm four years cancer-free at this point. Why do I need a genetic test? And I'm so glad I did follow her advice because that genetic test, like I said, revealed that endometrial cancer possible diagnosed. And so I opted to have a total hysterectomy. Now, upon having a biopsy, I already had started stage 1A endometrial cancer. And that's why it's so imperative that we talk about this and please, please follow your, your doctor's directions or if you have uh, second thoughts or even um, a follow-up with another doctor, it can, ev- it can save your life. Before that genetic test, had you any inkling that there might be something that puts you at higher risk for these other cancers? To be honest, you know, the only inkling that I had was the day after I was diagnosed, I received a phone call from my aunt who said, uh, Winnie, and that's what she called me. And she says, I just wanted to let you know that you were never told this, but your grandfather passed away 
from colon cancer at the age of 38, and that he was given a special military burial because of his activities in the in the service, and that he actually had a colostomy bag and a, a colostomy bag and everything. So for me, the feelings that I had at that moment was like I appreciated my aunt for telling me this, but this is something I should have known when I was 30 years old because evidently this runs in my family. And it's so imperative that we know and talk about it as family members because my brother right now at the age of 45 is suffering from colorectal cancer stage four. So that's why it's just so imperative that we talk about our family history of who died from what or what uh, illness that can be uh, passed down to other family members. You're right. Uh, the genetics are so important. And yet we know that from, for most patients, they don't know their family history because somehow that information is lost, whether they're estranged from their families or because they don't have living relatives or whatever happens to be. It's a very difficult situation to be in. How has knowing this now changed things for your family? Well, it's changed drastically. I probably drive my children crazy with my uh, patient advocacy work and I'm always bugging them and asking them and sometimes pleading with them. Mom just wants you, want you to be healthy. I don't want you to go through what I've gone through. And I had to come to the sad realization that my daughters who are age 37 and 29 now, that they don't want to get tested and don't really want to know yet. So what I have to do is respect, sit back and respect that they don't want to get tested and that the only thing I can do is just give them enough information or be a fly enough there on the wall for their form that if something happens, that they'll think about our conversations and, and know that mom is still there for them regardless. Yeah, I think you're you're hit on a really important point there. And the point is that knowing is not enough. You need to take action. How do you, as a patient advocate, approach this in your advocacy work? How do you underscore this point that, in fact, when we have this information, it is valuable and it is something that could potentially change the outcome for ourselves as family members? Well, you know what? All I can really relate to is how it made me feel after my cancer diagnosis, and I was four years with no evidence of disease going into my fifth year prior to genetic testing. I felt grateful to be alive and felt like there's got to be some kind of way that I can give back. And so again, trolling through the internet, I found this great colorectal cancer organization and all they wanted me to do at the time was just tell my story. And that's what I did. I, I shared my story. I hit that submit send button that I couldn't take back. And when I say it was therapeutic, it was very therapeutic for me because one of the things that I would encourage individuals that I didn't get when I went through and still going through my cancer journey was to, to get counseling. There are psycho-oncologists out there that can help you through this difficult life journey that's ahead of you. And that's one of the things that I actually got that was therapy for me through my patient advocacy work. 
Yes, your story is so powerful because it tells people that there's hope, that there's a possibility that you could potentially change the outcome for yourself. Now, stage three cancer or colorectal cancer is a advanced cancer. What was the journey like through treatment and all that followed from the diagnosis? Well, the treatment is very it's very serious. It's a it's a, a strict regimen treatment. It's it's the standard six months of chemotherapy. Thank goodness I didn't have to do radiation because I really dreaded the thought that I would have to do radiation. But I did have to do chemotherapy. And the side effects, of course, aren't pleasant. And lost hair, toenails, eyebrows, eyelashes, all of that that usually comes with that, not being able to taste or smell things. But at the end of that, all I could think about was that I'm going to be on the other side of this. At some point, your hair grows back, your nails, your nails grow back, you come back, you're a different person, but you do come back from it. Yes, that's horrendous kind of treatment because you're trying to get rid of something that really has the potential to have a terrible outcome for yourself. And to think that if you had that information earlier and you were able to be tested earlier, there's a chance that you could have avoided all of this. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And it's it, it's just so vital and important because who, who wants to to live their life worrying about cancer or 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 thinking that if I'd only did such and such. And for me, yeah, there are times that I wish that I had of if I had only listened or if I'd only done this or if I'd known this sooner, I would have made those changes. But I'm I'm happy to say I'm here today as a patient advocate, able to share my story and to be an advocate about new treatment options that are out there because some individuals aren't able to speak up. Maybe some people are afraid to talk to their oncologists or their primary care physicians. In fact, I kind of equate it to, especially for women of color or, or Black individuals, we have this secretive kind of nature about us, about being that strong superhero person that we don't want to tell anybody what's going on in our life, that we're strong enough and we can handle it. Well, guess what? There are some days you're just not strong enough and you need individuals in your corner. So that would definitely be one of the things that I would definitely take back. That if somebody offered me help, whether it was a listening ear, some food to bring by, some tea to drink, I would be way more accepting instead of trying to so-called shield them from what was happening to me. You're right. We get a lot of comfort from each other. And I think that's the key message here, that you are never alone on your journey. There are people out there who care enough to reach out to you. And they may be strangers, but they won't be strangers for long. That's for sure. Now, thinking about your first steps towards the diagnosis, you said that you were recommended to have the FIT test and that you hesitated. A lot of people hesitate. In fact, you can see that hesitation in the communities that most require to take action. What do you think is the answer there? I think it really boils down to really educating the patient really explaining to the patient the importance of this test and what it could reveal. The doctor suggested, he said, Winora, you know, I'm going to give you this fit test. You take it home, read the directions if you have any questions. And that was kind of it. 
And so I did. And I was just like, okay, it can't be that important. But it actually really was. So whether it's a nurse practitioner or or someone there that can really explain to you why the doctor recommended this particular approach, it would have saved me two weeks of it sitting on the back of my toilet. What do you think it was that prompted your doctor to make a recommendation, which was rather strange at the time, and you said it jarred a bit. You thought, why is he recommending this? What do you think it was that made him think like that? You know what? I I can't really say. So I'm just going to jump in and say that through the years, me and my primary care physician had a really great relationship. So when it came to things like adjusting how I eat properly, am I exercising? Uh, When it comes to high blood pressure, high cholesterol, asking him questions and having a dialogue with him, I think he truly sensed that I was a person who wanted to stay healthy and to stay on top of her health. And thus, this recommendation, because he didn't even have to do it. I mean, in the U.S. at the time, now it's 45, 50 was the standard for colonoscopies to be even scheduled. So for him to even think that enough of me as a patient to say, hey, at least take this fit test just so that we know you're healthy all the way around makes me really appreciate the the doctor-patient relationship that's important going forward. And that's one of the keys, not just for cancer, but many, many other illnesses, that you have a relationship with your primary care physician who is on your side. What would be your recommendation for that in the U.S. setting, how do you think that works and how do you think it can be better? You know what? I think it's it's getting better. It still has a lot of work to do. And I think what has, what's made that better is patient advocacy. I think, and I'm going to use the example of myself, I've harassed my oncologist so much that last year she actually asked me, she says, Winora, she says, I think you would be a great candidate for our IRB board. And I'm going, really? I mean, that was special enough to me that she saw enough of my concern and as a patient to invite me into a space that's typically only for doctors of specialties and researchers or scientists that you have a patient's voice. And that meant a lot to me. It does mean a lot to you, and I can see it uh, in, in your face and in the way that you've described it. But to me, it seems completely logical that the person who's living with the condition is the best person to talk about this because you know you've been there. You've been in that chemotherapy unit where you are feeling dreadful and you're thinking to yourself, I want this I don't want this for somebody else, particularly my daughters, who potentially could end up in this place if we don't act and act soon. So patient advocacy, absolutely. How do you think that's now unfolding in where you are? Do you feel that we are getting some traction from patient advocates? Absolutely. And I think it's starting even just with the researchers themselves. In the grant writing process, they're inviting patient advocates to give their perspective on grants and research that could eventually, as a limb central patient, affect my choices for treatment. So yes, I want to be on that cutting edge treatment. I want to be there for when those choices are made and that money is given out to researchers and scientists. 
it begins there. And then from there, it, it extends out to those oncologists and, and other doctors in those specialty fields who also realize the importance of the patient's voice too. Because again, just because you hear my voice and you hear the passion in my voice, there are some on the other end of that spectrum who will not say anything and who don't speak up. In fact, it was it was interesting about a week or two ago, I, I wrote a short blog or article for my place of employment. And it was just about dancing during the time of the pandemic to keep your, your mental spirits up. And she wrote me and she and she told me that how much she really appreciated that. And she's going to look at music and dancing differently, but that she too had been a cancer patient and that she appreciated my ability to speak up because she didn't want anything to do with it. She had survived and that's all that she was concerned with. And I was a little bit taken aback because I thought, who wouldn't want to tell their story? You survived cancer. You talked about it. But there are also individuals that don't want to talk about it. They just want to survive and move on. And that's where we have to respect that. Yes, I agree. And I hear this a lot. As a physician, I hear this a lot. Somebody who's had a cancer say, I want to close that chapter in my life. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to even think about it, which is something that we are very respectful of. One of the concerns that I have, though, is that there is tokenism in how we engage with advocates. And that's disturbing because you think you want somebody from a particular community to be part of your grant so it looks good and you get the money. And that's very, very sad. Have you seen elements of that? I think like with most things in life, you are going to see elements of that. But this is where patient advocates and individuals and other individuals in this organizational realm of patient advocacy have to have a conscience of some sort to say, you know, this is not an area or a road I want to travel down. I want to stay true to what true patient advocacy is. And we're going to follow this path. But to me, I look at it as anything that you have to be careful with who you align yourself with. Like, for instance, with me, with patient advocates, you will get pharmaceutical companies who may come to you and say, hey, can you represent our particular drug? And for me, that would be a no because as a patient advocate, other patients are looking to me as the person that's, you know, that's, you know, that's saying that this drug is okay and it may not be for everyone. So that's one of the things that I just won't do is advocate on behalf of drugs, but I will advocate with the pharmaceutical company who is helping to bring to light through educational materials about, let's say, endometrial cancer, putting that information out to help patients make wise choices when it comes to their health care. That sounds like you have your eyes wide open, which is fantastic because there is a re- risk, isn't there, where healthcare has become commercial to use whatever means, including nefarious means of getting people to push your particular product, whatever it happens to be, because there's a lot of money to be made in that. I guess the question always to ask is, who's paying? And therefore, who's gaining from this? And the people that you want to reach are people who care, who are at risk and who potentially could benefit, not people who would benefit simply because they're taking a drug company's offering. Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree because I want to be true to the game. I know what it has done for me. 
And to be able to sleep at night and knowing that I'm doing the right things, this is that's the path that I choose to take is doing the right thing. Bernardo, where to from here? Where do you see the next five years? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Where do you see your work going? What still needs to be done? What can we do to help? Well, as you said, there's there's still so much more work to be done in all aspects of uh, patient care, patient treatment options, uh, just the ability for a patient themselves to understand they need to be educated. So there's a lot of work to do. So I'm looking forward to maybe within the next five years or so, retire from my real full-time job that I have. And patient advocacy will be a full-time job for me. I've seen there where there are places that maybe my voice can make a difference. And I'd love to do that on a full-time scale and help others out there because I've been given a second lease on life and I'm just not taking, taking it for granted at all. How are we to persuade your daughters that they need to follow mom's advice? Ugh, that's a really, really tough one. I've, I've, what I've learned to do, it's taken me, actually, it's taken me three to four years to really sit back and understand that maybe I'm not the person to give them that message. And so while someone may be listening to the message that I give, it prompts them to do something. What I'm hoping then is that someone will give them the message that gives them that aha moment, that light bulb moment. This is what my mom was trying to tell me. But in the meantime, I'm still here. I'm supportive as mom, but I've just learned to step back to let them make their own life choices, whether I like them or not. Benora Johnson, you are an inspiration. The work that you do is so important. And the message that you share with us is extraordinarily important for the future of so many people, not just with Lynch syndrome, but with other cancers that they may simply not be dealing with early enough in the trajectory. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm so happy you had me here on your show. I really appreciate it. The Health Design Podcast. Sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.